0: Welcome to Dare To Be Seen, brought to you by Alyssa Vulpes Productions and EDN Publishing. Join our host, Alyssa DiNapoli, aka Alyssa Vulpes, author, artist coach, hypnotherapist, singer-songwriter, and drummer, as she engages in down-to-earth, insightful, and inspiring conversations with female indie singer-songwriters around a virtual campfire. We shall discuss the lessons, songs, and personal stories of women who dare to be seen, scratching beneath the surface to give you an insider look into what makes their chosen career sometimes challenging and yet always inescapably compelling. So let's get the show started!
1: Welcome to another episode of Dare to be Seen. I'm your host, Elisa Di Napoli, a.k.a. Elisa Vulpes, and today's episode features Ariel Wang. With many moods and meters, Ariel Wang's music pulls from a deep grounding in folk, with traces of metal, Western classical music, and progressive rock. Her songs trace a path of growth, lessons, traumas, triumphs, love, and heartbreak, Cataloguing experience is both unique yet universal. With a backing of talented musicians and as a multi-instrumentalist herself, Ariel Wang and her Wang Gang provide a kaleidoscopic musical experience that will tingle and excite the ears of any listeners. Before we meet our guest for today, I would like to invite you to go to tinyurl.com slash poddiscount and you will be able to get... off my online course Dare to be Seen, where you will discover how to magnify your presence and command the stage in 10 easy steps so you can perform at your best in front of a larger audience. And now, here's our guest for today.
2: Community, there are people I've met who did not grow up as musicians but always had a desire for it and my oldest violin student is I believe in her 60s or 70s she's definitely retired and she's been playing for I believe like 20 25 years so she didn't start playing until she was in her 40s the music is not moving the you
3: one, one, the audience can tell
2: you are not in as vulnerable of a position as somebody else then in a way, in order to make a better society and a better future, it is kind of up to you to step up. Being brave enough to advocate for someone, that's a kind of vulnerability, as well as like you're opening up and saying, hey, um, this is something I care about. the
1: So we've got Ariel Wang today on the show. I um, came across your music and I was quite impressed by how versatile you really you are. You you seem to be able to do a lot of things. You are um, a teacher, a coach. You also are a multi-instrumentalist. You play um, lots of different instruments and you also um, your music is quite kaleidoscopic. And it's basically, you know, the way I understand it is it's quite folky, but then it's got this very interesting traces of Western classical music, prog rock, metal. So I guess, first of all, I wanted to ask you about how this love for music, how did did it emerge in your life?
2: Yeah, so I started first on the piano at age five. My mom is a piano teacher, so she was determined that I would play an instrument. And we quickly realized that having my mom teach me was not a good idea. So that didn't last very long um but i remember when i was eight my mom took me to see the titanic and my favorite scene of all time in that whole three hour long marathon is when jack and rose are in third class and they have this huge dance party with all of the musicians. And I remember after seeing that movie, I decided I was going to play the violin. And I predominantly wanted to learn folk music. And at first my mom was a little bit reluctant because the piano lessons went so poorly. So she wasn't sure how committed I was, but I, I hammered her for a year. And finally they got me classical violin lessons and as a kid I resisted that I didn't really want to learn classical music but the more I learned about it the more I fell in love with it I think classical music is like a lot of different kinds of music and I think what where there's a pretty big expanse of what classical music actually is And I know a lot of people who say, oh, I don't like classical music. And I felt like I was one of those people for a really long time. But just like any other genre of music, there's so much that you don't hear, you know, in what's popular. And I think for a lot of people who don't like classical music, I highly, highly recommend actually going in and and listening to different pieces and different composers and different instruments because it's so different and especially a lot of modern classical music some of it sounds like like if you listen to um like Shostakovich or Kodai uh these composers are are more within I guess the last hundred years instead of 300 years ago a lot of it is very metal a lot of it is very dissonant. Um, and it's not like I think what a lot of people imagine when they think of classical music. And so I started falling more and more in love with it. And I always knew I wanted to be a musician. I started guitar and just really self-taught on guitar when I was about 15. And I wasn't really writing music then I was just learning things on my own and I always knew I wanted to be a musician but when I was younger I think my parents sort of discouraged that that path because they knew it was going to be really difficult and they told me I had to get a college degree like whatever I did with my life I had to get a college degree so I stopped playing music and I stopped taking violin lessons. So I stopped taking violin lessons at 16, focused more on school. And then I actually stopped playing music for a really long time. And it wasn't until after school, after college, um, and I was a little bit uncertain where I wanted to go. I moved into a house of musicians and I was surrounded by music. We had a basement basement where the my housemates had turned it into a music studio people were having rehearsals and it was really my housemates who encouraged me and pushed me to play music again and I started playing guitar again I started writing songs and my first band that I had was actually just my housemates playing with me and I would just be and this happened a A lot in this house it wasn't even just with me but with anybody in the house somebody would start playing and then one of the housemates would join in and then next thing you know you know we're all just jamming and playing music together and then when I was about 26 I decided I was going to just go fully into becoming a professional musician so at that point I hadn't played violin officially for 10 years but I Picked it up again. I went to grad school, got my master's in in violin, and I've been basically a music teacher and professional musician, professional violinist since since then. So I've had kind of a different path, I think, than a lot of musicians. I think a lot of musicians I know and play with they start when they're really young and they never stop, and their families are very involved in their music playing sometimes, um, but. It took me a lot of zigzags to, to get where I am here today. Yeah.
1: Wow, I, I that's really fascinating because actually, funnily enough, I was talking about this uh, today um, with my boyfriend because I was thinking, um, I was telling him that a lot of the people that I have interviewed, you know, they have some kind of musical background, you know, maybe their grandma, their mother, their father. Uh, they went to school, music school from a very young age. And I was saying, well, you know, I'm feeling a little bit uh, envious because in my case, I didn't have that encouragement. I really wanted to play music when I was young. But uh, my family, you know, no one is a musician. They just wanted, uh, they they didn't think it was possible, you know. And, uh, and so it's really refreshing to hear someone who actually started later you know and it gives encouragement to other people that it's not too late you know it's never too late you can start again even you know if you haven't played music for 10 years yeah
2: and that is one of the things that i've learned a lot about i think i have a lot of insecurity around my music playing because i feel like i'm surrounded by these extraordinary musicians who've been playing their whole lives. But at the same time, I've also, through, I think, being just in the Bay Area and being around such a diverse community, there are people I've met who did not grow up as musicians, but always had a desire for it. And my oldest violin student is, I believe, in her 60s or 70s. She's definitely retired, and she's been playing for... I believe, like 20, 25 years. So she didn't start playing until she was in her 40s. So, and she's, you know, she's made so much progress and she plays pretty advanced pieces. So if there's anything I've learned from my musical experience, and especially having had a community which supported me so much, like the first open mic that I played, which I thought, Personally, was a complete disaster. Um, I I played a cover of a song, and the first three rows were my housemates and my friends and that music community, like screaming and cheering for me as if I was the biggest band that has come in ages. Like, you know, and I played one song pretty poorly, I would say, but the support really was what kept me going, and I think that. Anyone who wants to try music, if you're not around people who support you, like find someone who does because you're it's never too late to play music. It is something that I think is of the life of the soul um, and everyone has access to it like it, it's it's never too late.
1: Yes, that's, that's a really inquir- a really inspiring message. And again, uh, Serendipity here is a play because just today I was reading a, a really good book called The War of Art. I don't know if you've ever yes. heard of it. Yeah, yes? I
2: haven't read, read a whole right. lot of it, but yeah, I've, I have it on my shelf
1: Right. Well, I I would really recommend it because even though there's some things I don't quite agree uh, with at the end of it but as a whole it's a very good book and one of the things it says is that like you said um music is about um feeding the soul and and that there's a you know there's always a bit of resistance uh that can happen um especially if you're blocked but also you know Basically, resistance is fear, you know, fear that's too late, fear that you might not be good enough or whatever it may be, or fear that uh, other people are not going to, you know, applaud you or they might reject you. Um, but he says, actually, um, what um, is recommended, it's much better to think of it as playing music for its own sake rather than playing music because of the um, you know, approval that you may get, um, and I thought that was that's very true. Because if you start thinking about it in terms of you know how many likes am I getting, how many people are buying my album, well, you're gonna be disappointed. But also, that's not what music is about.
2: Yeah, you know, I think it's very difficult for musicians, especially in the modern way that the music industry runs it's it's difficult to to find a balance between that because I think if you want to be a professional musician or if you even want anyone to hear your music there is a level of having to learn about marketing and how to get your music out but I think that you're right in that without the music coming from the soul and just your desire to make music first it doesn't It's not that, you know, important how you market it if you don't have something that you feel connected to and that other people can connect to. I think an experience that a lot of musician friends of mine and I have felt is, and I think especially in classical music, in that world where a lot of the times you're hired to play something, is if the music is not moving you, the audience can tell and you have to you know and especially if you're creating your own music if you're not moved by your own music or if it doesn't say something to you the audience is not going to hear anything about from it either and in my own experience writing music the more I judge my own music or the more I try to fit it into a box or get too technical with it or it's the result is never as good as when I can just enjoy the experience and that doesn't necessarily mean that I like every song that I write or every piece of music I write ends up making it into the public ear but if you're not if you're already not inspired by what you do you're not going to get very far.
1: True, true. And also, I guess what this reminds me of is the ego versus the higher self. So, you know, um, again, quoting that book, you know, he's talking about um, the, you know, he talks about a lot about God. And, you know, maybe even if you're not uh, religious, you can t- think of that as your higher self or your unconscious mind, you know. And he's saying, um, if you are writing music from the ego perspective, then you're seeking some kind of um. A approval from other people, um, you're not gonna go very far and you're doing the disservice to the muse or the higher self or God or however you want to understand it. And because in his view the artist is more like a a hollow reed uh or you know a vessel for um something higher Wherever it may come from, that flows through you through you. So it's not really about you, but you are the interpreter, if you like. I mean, would you agree yeah. with that?
2: Yeah, and I think it's a healthier perspective too, because I think that it's easy to. I mean, I think as people who are you know we're we're social, right? Like we do seek approval from other people, and it's easy to get. Um. What's the word? It's easy to get discouraged when you focus too much on do people like this? Do people not like this? I mean, some of the most revolutionary music was disliked by a lot of people in its time, you know. And I think that this idea of the muse, which I I think is a very um, I could be totally wrong, but I think it's a very Greek way of 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 thinking of it that um that, you know, you are not the creator of the music. It's the muse that is the creator and you are, like you said, the vessel. And I think it's a healthier way of thinking about it because then it's not about you. And then there's also less pressure for you to be the center of everything and and having the music do well or not do well in a public or commercial way. There's less pressure because you can just say, well, my muse really... <laughs> didn't get out of bed this morning they didn't give me anything today you know and I think it is a a healthier perspective because you don't feel like your your yourself your your selfhood uh is a reflection of of the music self-worth is not based on yeah absolutely
1: yeah absolutely and it's like um, again I don't know I'm just quoting this book left right and center tonight but uh, I guess it's in my awareness but it makes sense with what you're saying because again he's he's talking about the difference between amateurs and professionals and he's saying if you're, if you're a professional you know think about a job you know that you have maybe it's not music another job a job that you do for money well if you do a job for money you're going to show up every day you're going to do the work every day whether you're in in the mood or not in the mood because you need to bring home the bacon so to speak so if you um, think of uh, music uh, in a professional kind of manner then you do the work you do the work every single day whether you're in the mood or not in the mood and you see it as work and that can help you to distance yourself a little bit from it because he's saying if you're an amateur one of the the problems you will have is that you will identify too much with your music and then it's going to be very very difficult because then like you say if somebody doesn't like it then you're going to take it personally but actually it isn't personal maybe maybe that person isn't ready for it maybe it's just you know the equivalent of van gogh not being understood you know during his that <laughs> his life so um actually um just slightly on um off topic when you were talking about classical music um that's um another thing i was thinking about recently about how many people don't actually know a lot about classical music unless they're classical musicians and um but also the fact that i think you know because there are so many different composers and some are more rhythmical some are more melodic based um is there anyone that, you know, any specific composer that you would recommend for someone who doesn't know where to start in classical music at all?
2: Whew, that's a, that a difficult question. That is a difficult question. question. <laughs> um, especially because I'm actually pretty terrible with names. And I... I okay, okay. Well, so some of the composers I mentioned before, like a, a, I would say like Shostakovich, um, Kodai... Um, and, uh, and oh my God, see bad with names. I'm even working on one of his pieces right now. There's another, there's another Russian composer in Shostakovich's time who Shostakovich actually, uh, despised, um, Prokofiev. There we go. Um, like their music, I think is, um, especially if you like a lot of metal or heavier music, um, things that are very energetic. Um, and I think kind of just angsty uh their music is quite different from your mozart and your your beethoven um i think people who like really technical music would really enjoy bach um there's a lot of classical composers women so uh nadia boulanger is a is a woman composer who I really love. Her music is incredibly diverse. Um, There's a a lot of people know Robert Schumann uh, as a composer, but I think I actually like his wife, Clara Schumann's music better. So a lot of people know of Clara Schumann as a pianist. She was considered the best pianist in the world um, when she was alive. And she also did a lot of composing. And I think her music is absolutely beautiful and inspiring and um there's uh, oh my god there's there's just so many uh, ravel is a composer a french composer who i absolutely love and he had a lot of jazz influence and um and his music is um you, you know you can hear the jazz influence but it's like someone took jazz and classical music and, try, and kind of put it together so um, Oh my god. Yeah, it's it's endless. And there
1: What what about in your music though? What is your an influence that comes through in your music? Oh, that's
2: mm, That's really hard to say cuz I think for me there are pieces that I really love. Um I think if there's any composer that I think I'm really influenced by is is beethoven who is one of the the big greats um that a lot of people know but i think with um with beethoven i i love his music and his music is is like just the craftsmanship that goes into it um he was uh he had to work really hard with his music um comparatively to someone like mozart who was just a very natural talent and so I think when you listen to Beethoven's music you can hear how every little bit of it was like he spent a lot of time going over it and going over it and trying to pick what really goes in every place and he thinks a lot about what he wants to bring out in the audience when he is creating his music and um and I think a lot of the times his music doesn't always revolve around melody. It revolves around how the harmony takes people to different places. And I think with more and more with the music that I'm writing, um, melody is is still, I think, important. It's what a lot of people gravitate towards, but I've been thinking a lot more about the things that go underneath the melody, the harmony that creates a, a specific mood and how picking certain chords beneath the melody can really change the expression of the melody um and and i think with beethoven he was just you know like and it sounds very egotistical to to i think say this or think this way but i think beethoven was someone who really believed that his calling was music and and I think it sounds arrogant in a lot of ways. Cause it's like, oh, you think, you know, and, and he was, you know, really influential. So, of course, you know, like it that says a lot. But I think there is something to be said about like feeling like, you know, and I think this has a lot to do with just this idea of the muse. Like, it's like when I make music, I feel like there wasn't really anything else that I could really do with my life. And that's why I came to it. And that's not to say, you know, I'm Beethoven or I'm going to become the most, you know, it's like it, it almost like it has nothing to do with that. It's just, there's nothing else that I can't imagine myself being compelled to do with my life is making music is making art um, and I can relate to that sentiment that I think Beethoven expresses although I think he took a much more egotistical stance about it um, but I can really relate to that feeling
1: um, right you're, you're following your calling really your heart and your calling
2: yeah yeah
1: and, uh, you know, you you mentioned um, in your music that, um, I mean, in your bio, you mentioned that there are specific messages that are um, close to your heart. You talk about growth, trauma, triumphs, love, heartbreak. Um, so... This is sounds like you know you have some specific topics that you're particularly passionate about. So would you say what would you say is um the message, if any, or, of your music or a theme that
2: runs through your music? I think if there's any theme, it would be that of community and and really building good relationships with with other people. And I think it doesn't necessarily come across directly in a lot of the music that I write, um, but I think just the, the importance of being vulnerable, um, and, and I say this as someone who has a lot of difficulty being vulnerable with other people, um, I find it really hard to to talk about myself and to get really deeper and talk about things that are, you know, that are very close to me. That I think are just difficult things to talk about. But I think that it's a worthwhile pursuit to learn to be more vulnerable with other people. And I think making music is a very vulnerable thing to do uh, because you are expressing something either about your own emotions or about something that happened to your life or you're trying to say something with your music. And I think that that's, yeah, if there's any theme, it's like, that's how we build community and how we build good relationships with other people is by being vulnerable and by opening yourself up to other people. And I think also by opening the door for other people to be open to you. And if we come from a stance of, being vulnerable and opening up and asking other people to be honest and open and vulnerable with their feelings, that's the way we're gonna build a better world. Um, I think recently I have slightly more direct, I think, pol- I would say, I guess maybe pol- political is the right word for it. Although I, I feel like saying something as political is political is an instant way to turn a lot of people off. Um, I think the songs that I write do address sort of the inequalities and things in our lives a little bit more directly than I have in the past. But I think even the songs that I write about loss, um, you know, those are to me still on the same veins because I think expressing your own losses and your own fears and your own love, opens up the door for other people to explore those feelings in themselves um, and talking about something that's maybe a little bit more political or, or talking about something that is a problem you see in society I hope it's it becomes an opener for people to either explore it as a topic whether they disagree or agree with it um, and also I say it because I think it's it you know art I think what it does really well and what I want to do with my art is is point people to something like like by saying something with your music or expressing an emotion you're saying you you know to the audience or whoever is listening like look at that that is something i think we need to turn our eyes to and our hearts to and if we can all turn our hearts to the same things and and feel open to exploring those topics i think that's how we're going to relate to each other and how we're going to build better communities and hopefully solve interpersonal or international problems.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we were saying at the beginning of this interview before we started recording, we were talking about, you know, how sometimes it can be uh, difficult to be in a world where we feel like we can't change it, we can't do very much. But um, I was saying um, to you, and I I would repeat that now, that, you know, if you fully are aligned with your own, um, heart's desire and like you are, then you are fulfilling your mission. You are um, in alignment with your purpose, so to speak. You know, what I mean with purpose is, you know, the kind of meaning you give or create for yourself in your life. And so it sounds to me like you are a true, um, through this calling, through pointing out in your own way, uh, using the talents that you have um. Pointing to the social themes that are important to you, you are making a change. You you, you are making a change in a way that is um uh, that is aligned with what you can do, and that's all we can do. You know, we do a little bit, our wow, a little bit, and um, it may seem insignificant, but actually, sometimes it can have quite big consequences. You know, and also. You're talking about uh, vulnerability, which um, is a topic dear to my heart. I don't know if you know Brené Brown. Yes. She talks about, you know, being in the arena and and being being vulnerable with the people that have earned your trust, of course. And uh, (laughs) I can see how this is relating also to the way that a lot of people see vulnerability as weakness rather than a strength. Um, but I would agree with you that it is it is definitely a strength to be able to be vulnerable. But also, that I guess there is a little bit of a, of a risk there too.
2: Yeah, and I think that especially thinking about things like trauma is something that I think for a lot of people is what ends up closing them to vulnerability, which makes a lot of sense. You know, like trauma teaches us that you can get hurt. And you can sometimes get hurt really, really bad, Um, and it's it's hard. It's you know I think with um, you know thinking of Brene Brown, and and when she talks about vulnerability, like something I relate really a lot to her is she talks about being a person who talks about vulnerability who's also very bad at vulnerability, and I relate to that so much um and yeah i think it's like anything it's just it's so complicated because it's hard to ask a traumatized person or a traumatized group of people to be vulnerable um and i think about you know what like how do we create spaces where people can be vulnerable to each other especially i think that it's really hard for people who need to be vulnerable to each other to build huge bridges um those are the places that in some ways we need the most vulnerability but we're also asking the most vulnerable people to put themselves in a lot of danger um and you know and I, i think about with at least in the u.s the You know, when you're talking about racial politics and just kind of a lot of the social things that are going on now, um, you know, like, I think there's a lot to, it's a lot to ask people from more vulnerable populations to open up. Um, And I think that's where things like allyship and learning how to be a good ally is so important. It's like, if you are not in as vulnerable of a position as somebody else then in a way in order to make a better society and a better future it is kind of up to you to step up um and and try to be advocates for the people who have to suffer and there's a lot of different things you know like people who are able bodied advocating for people who have to you know have disabilities that don't allow them to have the same privileges that able-bodied people have Um, he talks about you know about race um, and racism and it could be you know lgbtq like people who are not trans um, having difficult conversations with people who are maybe transphobic um, but having those conversations so it's not the trans people who always have to have the conversations. Um, And it goes in homeless population. I mean, there are so many vulnerable populations. Um, And I think that, you know, it's overwhelming to try to take it all in. But I think it's important if you have some sort of privilege, you know, that you, you know, you don't have to bring up, you know, (laughs) homelessness at every party but you know it's i think if there there are times when it feels right to advocate for someone um part of being vulnerable i think also is like uh being brave enough to advocate for someone that's a kind of vulnerability as well as like you're opening up and saying hey um this is something i care about and i think we should have a conversation about it
1: yeah, the other thing um, I wanted to say about this is that uh, a lot of the time I've heard of people, you know, who are privileged for whatever reason, you know, whether it's a race thing or or how much money they have or the place in society. And uh, I've heard of um, these people feeling sometimes guilty. You know, um, I've had some clients that have come to me thinking, oh, you know, I am just feel so guilty because I've got everything and I shouldn't be happy. And uh, one of the things that I, I say to, to that is, well, you know, okay, so you're privileged, but what is your guilt doing? You know, is is your guilt doing any good to anyone, um, and what would be a better way uh, to actually use the privilege that you have? Because, you know, it is a gift. It, you're lucky for whatever reason you have it. Maybe the best way to um to really uh, appreciate it is to use it in a in like you say, in advocating for people who are not so lucky. And uh, you were telling me that, uh, again, at the beginning of this um, podcast, before we started recording, that you have a podcast yourself, and it's actually about um, advocating for musicians that are uh, people of color or people from the LGBT community. Um, So do you want to tell us a little bit about that? And also... Uh, you know, I'd be, I'd be curious about um, knowing where your interest for this actually emerged in you. How did that come about?
2: Yeah, um, Uh, to answer your first part, the organization that my friend Margaret Jones uh, and I co-founded is called Subrosa Sound, and we currently Mostly have a podcast and also a radio show on an online radio station called Shady Pines Radio, and our main um, our main mission is to advocate and push forward the music by people of color, by women, by LGBTQ plus, and it's the way I like to describe it is is mostly right. Like I don't think that. White men, which is really the demographic we don't mention and don't spend a lot of time with. I don't think they need to be excluded from the conversation. They're just not our main aim. So, you know, we have bands that have white men in them. Um, you know, it's it, it, and I think that that's a an important thing for me at least is that yes, there are vulnerable populations that need to be advocated for, um, but that doesn't equate with excluding someone from the conversation. And I think that that's a distinction that gets missed a lot in the back and forth of political debate is I think a lot of um, white men, especially, but I think a lot of white people in the, at least in the issues around race, they feel like, oh, um, if we're talking about this, it means we're not allowed to have a say. And that's not really what I think anybody wants. I think what people want is to create more inclusion, not less. And when people point out that someone has been, um, you know, whether it's about race or gender or, um, or, you know, economic inequality, people are not saying we want to put somebody else down. They're saying we should all be risen up. Um, And Sabrosa Sound, that's something that I, really you know I, I i usually say it a little more like sarcastically or kind of as a throwaway like mostly indie mostly people of color you know but really the reasoning for me behind that is like i want there to be space for everyone and the only reason that we're focusing on these populations is just they haven't had the same opportunities it's not because we don't like white men you know i'm dating a white man <laughs> and he's right he's Amazing. And, you know, going back to my, you know, my why I started playing the violin, if it weren't for him, and he is a professional cellist, um, and also composer and songwriter, and he has, I mean, his musical talents are extraordinary. But if it weren't for his encouragement, and the fact that he was very open to showing me how he makes it as a professional musician, I would not be here. So I have a white man, honestly, to thank for, for supporting you know, my musical ambitions. So I think that that's the thing that gets lost in the internet, social media, you know, back and forth is, is these nuances. Um, so yeah, Sabrosa Sound, our, our website is sabrosasound.org. And, you know, we do an album of the week podcast, uh, episodes where we, um, where we talk about albums uh, that we really like and that are coming out. And then we also have interviews with musicians and on the radio show um, that's Pacific time Mondays, 8 to 10 PM on sub uh, on ShadyPinesRadio.com. That's the online radio station we're on. Um, the sub Rosa sound radio show is Mondays, 8 to 10 PM Pacific standard time. And I play music by mostly people of color, uh, LGBTQ plus women, uh, mostly indie music as well. Um, although I will put on some of the more popular stuff sometimes, but it's mostly more indie musicians. And uh, and I also do interviews on that. So that's kind of what we do. And, and to, I guess, the second part of your question, the impetus to be an advocate and do these kinds of things, I think has been something very dear to me as far back as I can remember. I feel a calling to that. I don't know if it's as strong as music. I I sometimes can't tell, but I think just this idea of trying to connect people and trying to help people build relationships that's something that I've always wanted to do. I think in middle school, I was the total lame kid who like, you know, the the, um, the one of our assignments I remember in seventh grade was to prepare a speech and it could be a speech about anything. And people were doing all these like really cool speeches about like really awesome musicians or you know, their favorite sports figures or teaching about like really cool food and all this stuff. And I went up and I was like, not a popular kid. I was quiet. I was nerdy. And I did this whole speech about bullying and how bullying is a big problem in all levels of uh, public and I'm sure private school, and how it's something that needs to be addressed. And I swear, like my entire class, except for one person fell asleep (laughs) during my, my speech, and it was not long, it was like five minutes. And I was like, well, you know, I guess this is, (laughs) I guess I I don't think anybody heard me. But what was interesting about that, like, you know, when you say like, you know, if you think too much about audience, then that's not You know, I think for music, for uh, advocacy, for all of that, like, you know, it becomes too self-centered is actually there was the one person who stayed awake came up to me a week later. Um, And then again, years later, when we were in high school and told me, like, I still remember that speech you made. And it was it meant a lot to me. And it got me to really think about my actions. Um, And he wasn't a bully, but he was like, you know, I started thinking of the sort of interactions I see around me at school very differently. Um, and I think all of that is to say, I think, you know, what you were saying about privilege and guilt and things like that, it, it translates so much to other things, to, to music. It's is like, I think anytime when you become too focused on self, um, it's, that's when you can kind of lose your way. Um, because you get distracted by guilt or likes or audiences or how many people fell asleep during your seventh grade speech. Um, and it takes <laughs> away from the message and uh, to what you feel called to do with whatever it is. You feel.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And also, another thing that, you know, this, this, f- flows also also with what you were saying before because you were talking about, you know, not excluding white men and including basically everybody in the conversation and I think, you know, in the political arena at least at the moment it seems to me that there's a lot of um, black and white and polarization and, you know, good versus bad, the baddies and the goodies and, you know, it's very easy to just blame each other and that's how wars start and it's like well... You know, it may not be a very sexy subject to talk about in inclusion, um, even to include the, the bully. You know, let's talk about um the problem with the bully rather than saying, well, you're a bully, you're a bad person and you shouldn't be the way you are. Out you go, because, of course, that's only going to create more problems. Now, it's difficult to talk about this sort of things you know it's so, it's very difficult it's much easier to say well that person's bad you know let's just push them out let's blame them um but at the end of the day you're not really resolving anything you know in that way whereas in with the approach you are you are mentioning you know okay so a lot of a lot of people may fall asleep but the one person that has listened um you may may make a difference in their life so actually that's worth it you know, and it's worth to focus on that one person. Yeah,
2: and I think that it's a lot of the consequences of of this kind of simplified conversation about inclusion and exclusion and, you know, and, and who gets, you know, canceled and cancel culture. I think that the problem comes when people do not think deeply about these issues and people don't... Research And I think people also don't like to admit that sometimes they don't know what the right answer is, or they don't know everything about a certain situation. And, and a lot of what I'm alluding to is the idea of, of being able to differentiate, say, someone like Harvey Weinstein, who has been using his position to abuse women his entire career. And it was so well known that it was like, you know, at least within the the film and, and acting Hollywood community, like Harvey Weinstein was someone who's been known to be someone who abuses his position for a really long time. So the consequences for someone like him should be very different than, say, um, you know, uh, someone who's, say, in high school and says something really abusive or racist or you know, any number of horrible things as a teenager. And then, um, rather than addressing it and having a deep conversation about it, you know, they are no longer accepted to school. And, you know, I, I'm sure there are people that will disagree with me when I say like, and I think there's a specific case I'm thinking of where, um, a student said something really racist and inflammatory and um, and got caught. And then Harvard, uh, I think he was accepted at Harvard, and then Harvard rescinded his um, acceptance. And while I, you know, the merits of whether that was the right way to address it, honestly, I am not qualified to make that decision. Um, but it, to me, begs the question of what happens next, because someone who's a high school graduate, um, is at a very different part of his life than someone like Harvey Weinstein, who has been you know, abusing for decades. Um, and the fear that I have around cancel culture is not so much a debate of whether canceling someone is right or wrong, um, but what comes after or what are people really going to do about it, you know? Um, If somebody say loses their job because it comes out that you know they've sexually abused some you know a few women, like I don't know that making sure that they have zero income for the rest of their life is going to make a change. Um, That's not to say it isn't the the you know that it's wrong to say okay you've been abusing women there there has to be some consequence. Uh, But but it's always the what comes after because I think what happens with the internet is. People, you know, get really passionate about something and then to them when someone finally gets fired or when someone's, you know, college acceptance gets rescinded or, you know, when someone goes to jail, that feels like a win and then they go off and do their next thing. But I don't think those things really solve the problem. And I think it's the same thing with, you know, at least America, the the uh, conversation around Police brutality, um, and especially police brutality in terms of people of color. Um, I think it's really easy to say, "Oh, I marched in this protest, um, and you know, we got covered by news, and we had these conversations. Great, and then people drop off." Um, but that's not really enough. And I think that I don't. Again, I don't know what the answers are but my fears around the way things are handled right now is it's so easy to say, okay, I did this thing, now it's done, now it's solved. But then there's never any real change that comes after
1: it's easier to point the finger and blame and then just resolve then actually resolve the issue and it's the difference between punitive justice and reparative justice you know rehabilitation trying to figure out what is actually happened in the first place and actually reminds me a little bit even though it's a different topic but it reminds me a little bit of you know when someone is um, for example addicted to drugs and uh, we we think of this person as the problem and you know when we need to punish this addiction um rather than actually understand where it stems from, where it comes from, what to do to make the situation better. You know, in the long term, it might be a lot more difficult to make it better, but it is worth the effort because
2: if we don't, well, it's
1: just going to happen again.
2: <laughs> this is something I'm realizing more and more too, is that you know, I think a lot of the things that we talk about within certain frameworks, whether it's, you know, guilt around privilege, addiction, or um, how to create music, or how to, you know, there's so many topics that I think are just elements of the human experience. And I think we forget that even though you're talking about a different thing, that they still reflect the same human experience. And that if we can learn to take what whatever it is we do and and expand it to further our empathy to other things and other people like like I don't know I think yeah a lot of the things that that we talk about I mean even in this one conversation the same themes apply in so many different places
1: yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been really fascinating, and I could go on forever and ever. But I think, uh, I think we should uh, uh, show some of your music to our listeners. And um, so you were mentioning that you wanted to play a song for us called uh, Carolina. Now, do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Yeah.
2: Um. So this is a song that is one of my oldest songs that I've written, but I think it's still one of my favorites for sure. And it was a song that really came from the muse. Um, It took like 30 minutes to write the whole song, all the words, everything. And it just all came at once. It was like someone just handed me a package and I just had to slowly open it and then read everything and then learn, you know, like it definitely felt like I was learning a song rather than writing it. Um, And it's, uh, you know, my my music has gone through a lot of phases. I think earlier on, I I really wrote about kind of just more emotions. And I like to sort of tell stories um, and kind of illustrate experiences through storytelling um, and illustrate emotions and feelings through storytelling. Um, And now, and then now I'm like, more in the I'm just going to tell you what I think about this one you know thing that happened and but and yeah I'd like to combine those two but in any case this song is it's very much about experience and emotion mm-hmm.
1: I love that so sweet Uh, just a very sweet melody before I let you go I just wanted to let our listeners know that uh, you also do a weekly live stream on your Facebook page you've got videos weekly out and you're working on an album as well. Our listeners can uh, find all the links to these to your Facebook page on the um, the show notes. Uh, but uh, the last thing I want to just ask you before I let you go is just about your uh, upcoming album. If we want to tell us when to expect it and what it is, it going to be about.
2: Yeah, um, it's the plan is for it to be out next year in September, which is a long ways away. Um, but it's probably the biggest, most ambitious project that I've made so far because I want it to be sort of like creating a world and it's going to be a double album. And one of the things that I think with the most recent album I came out with, uh, which is called Bridges, is I really wanted to combine sort of the different sides of my musical life the kind of more instrumental classical composing side with the more songwriting and uh kind of folk um with some you know metal and prog influence and and a little you know i i felt like with the last album i wanted to just put everything in it and i wanted to take a different approach this time and actually really hone in on the two different sides, but then sort of present them together. So, the plan is for it to, to be a double album of, uh, of the same songs, but just kind of two completely different visions for the same songs and the same kind of basic elements. So, I have huge plans for that. Uh, the idea is that, you know, I'm going to create two sides actually to my my website for this album where they're going to have visual representations that kind of go with each of those. And there's a lot of other things that I'm planning, which I'll be kind of releasing uh, starting in the new year. I'm going to release singles, but there's all these other levels to this that are going to come out slowly. Uh, leading up until September when everything is going to be finalized and, and come out in the final album and the final recordings. So all of that will be happening on my YouTube, my Facebook, Instagram, my website. Um, I also have a band camp uh, and I'm starting to learn about Twitch. So um, this is one of the things that I've really enjoyed about quarantine is learning about all of these different platforms. And now I want to, kind of use all of them to present something that is multifaceted um, and that people can enter this, uh, this album and this kind of sonic world through all these different elements. Well, that's
1: fascinating. I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> so, and people can find all of these links from your website. Is that correct?
2: Yes. Website, Facebook, and there'll be actually things that I'll be uh putting onto my website that say won't make it to social media, but then there will be things on social media that might not end up on the website. So yeah, I, I want to, you know, try to use each of these platforms in the way that I think they were made to be presented and the way for people to interact with them. So I'm going to be kind of putting in all these different elements and choosing which platform to use based on how I think it'll really best be experienced. So yeah. Website, Facebook, Instagram.
1: Wow. You're you're not only uh, an artist, but you're also a tech whiz.
2: <laughs> not a tech whiz. This is uh, I have friends. And this is I mean, speaking of community, if it weren't for my friends who are much more technically inclined than I am and also friends who have introduced me to like different like platforms that help you learn about this. Like, I mean, this is why community is so important. It's because no one person can do and understand everything. And that's why we all need each other.
1: On that note, thank you so much for being on the show and all the best with your musical endeavors.
2: Thank you so much for having me. This has been great and you are wonderful. And I loved having this conversation with you.
1: Thank you. That was my guest, whom I'd like to thank once again for coming to the show. Every week I'll be chatting to fantastic indie performers to uncover what it really takes to be a female, independent singer-songwriter in this day and age and how we can support one another to keep shining our light onto the world through our creative endeavours. So make sure you don't miss out by subscribing to Dare To Be Seen and follow us on socials at tinyurl.com slash pod.
0: That's all for this episode of Dare To Be Seen. Join the conversation on facebook.com slash groups slash dare to be seen podcast and help create an empowering community of independent female singer-songwriters who support one another. For show notes, resources, and information on today's episode, visit tinyurl.com slash dare to be seen pod. And remember to shine your own unique light onto the world. It needs it.